0: Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio from lead pastor Brad Evangelista. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. All right, let's go First Peter chapter 2. That's going to be our launching point today. Today is a bit of an unusual Sunday. First of all, happy Father's Day. How about it? How about giving it up for all the fathers in the house? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You know, as I was driving out here, Jennifer and I come to church separately because I get here a little earlier, and so she then brings up the rear. I take the two oldest, she takes the two youngest, Uh, and I'm just so thankful. I I know it's Father's Day, but I mean, I just am so thankful for my wife and for mothers, and I mean, I'm a father because she carried four people inside of her, and um, she's working in the nursery today, uh, and um, I don't know, I just want to... That out there, I, I, I love my wife. I love my wife. Um, where was I going? I can't remember. All right, anyway, here's what we're doing today. So, happy Father's Day! I love my wife. Okay, put that in there. We just finished a series of messages uh, straight out of the book of Colossians. It took us about 18 weeks to get through that letter. We started in January, we ended last week. If you missed any of that, that's all on the internet. If you want any CDs, you can ask for CDs, although you can make a CD from the internet. If you just go and download that into iTunes or whatever, you can make your own CD, but we're always glad to make some for you, and here's what we're going to do for the rest of the summer. Uh, Reynolds is going to be preaching next Sunday. I'll be here this next week. I'm going to take, Jennifer and I are taking vacation. We're going to chill. We're turning our phones off, and we're not, I don't think we're leaving, but we're just going to kind of just hang out with our kids all week and just enjoy time together with them. Reynolds is going to be preaching next Sunday. Then the Sunday after that, both Reynolds and I are going to be gone, taking our kids to camp, Windshape up in North Georgia. And so uh, Will Hawk will be preaching. And then the rest of July, I'll preach a couple times. Robert Ward is going to preach once, our very gifted intern. This guy's a tremendously talented young man in uh, the gospel, speaking, writing. He's going to be preaching in July. And so for the balance of the summer, we're going to kind of do some individual messages. I'm going to kind of fill in the blanks. I'm going to talk about a few, a uh, couple topical things that I want to I uh, do. We might even do a couple little one or two Sunday sermon series from small books in the Old Testament like Obadiah. You ever heard anybody preach through the book of Obadiah? We might do it. Take one Sunday. It's just one chapter. And then Nahum, which is a great uh, Old Testament book about the wrath and righteousness of God. And so how many times do you hear Nahum preached? And so we may do that here for a couple of these Sundays. And we're anticipating uh, probably early to mid-August that we'll be moving into our new building. And so we're not going to start any new series on a book of the Bible until then. Today I want to do something that's really unusual for us, but I think is very very necessary, and that is I'm going to just kind of share with you my heart. Now, if you're visiting with us or if you're part of Crosspoint, I just want to reiterate the fact how passionately we believe in the centrality of the word of God, the centrality of the Bible, and we believe in what is called expositional preaching. That means that we take books of the Bible or passages of the Bible and we want our messages on Sunday morning to be from the Scriptures, and and by that, we want to expose the text. That's what expositional preaching means. It means that the point of the message is the point of the passage, and we want to spend a vast majority of our time doing that type of preaching as opposed to topical preaching where you kind of start with an idea and then you try and gather Scriptures around it. At times, that type of preaching can be valuable for a church, and we do that occasionally like we're going to do today. But a steady diet of that is potentially very, very dangerous because it relies on the wisdom of a man rather than the wisdom of the inerrant, infallible Word of God that's been breathed out by God. So today I'm going to do that type of preaching and I'm going to kind of do more of a, just a, 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 sh- a sharing from my heart about our move. I've been thinking and praying a lot about uh, what life is going to look like at Crosspoint Cross as we move into town, into a new building and uh, I felt like it would be good on this Sunday after we finished our Colossians series for me to kind of take a break and just share with you from my heart about some things that I'm concerned about, encouraged about, uh, thinking about, wanting you to know from my heart so that we can all kind of be on the same sheet of music, all right? So to do that, we're going to start in First Peter chapter 2 and use that as kind of a launching pad for our time together. And this is a beautiful scripture that I hope will sort of center our hearts on what it means to be a church together in a broken world, living for Jesus, wanting our lives to be about something bigger than our comfort or our convenience or our help or our, you know, self-esteem, but about the glory of God. So let me read 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, and then I'm going to launch into some thoughts about our upcoming move. So before I read, let me pray and ask God to help us. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for music and the ability to gather together and sing to Jesus. Lord, in our particular region of the country, oftentimes church and Christianity is cultural and moral and nominal, meaning it's just on our lips and not in our hearts. And I believe one thing you've called this church to do is to be on a crusade to stamp out the cultural nominal aspects of Christianity, but to be true believers who really believe in the God of the Bible, who who engage the God of the Bible, who believed that Jesus is real, that he really died, that he is the only way back to you and that the whole world stands accountable to God because of a rebellion against you and that Jesus is the only way and there is a real heaven and there is a real hell and those two places are the only two possible eternal destinations for every person in this room and every person in the earth and so God set us on fire as a church to be people who believe and trust and passionately pursue the exaltation of Christ in everything we do. And even as we come to this text and even as we do kind of a a topical thing where I share my heart, where we're not preaching specifically out of your word in one passage. God, I pray that you would give us a heart and a vision and a collective spirit for who we are as people in Christ, not as Southern Americans, not as middle-class people, but as people who have been bought with a price, who've been redeemed, who have been reconciled, who are yours, whose life is not our own. God, would you do that? Would you be so kind as to shake us From church attendance and Sunday mornings and naps and cultural Christianity and a blase, lazy, self consumed American way of coming to you? Would you do that, Jesus? Would you help us now? Would you help me? I am a hypocrite. I'm a complex, self consumed sinner who has been forgiven, who needs grace even now to speak passionately in front of these people. So, God, would you be so kind? As to help us as a group of people, even as we read the scripture and launch from it, and as this feeble, weak pastor shares his heart with people that he loves, God, would you come and would you lift our eyes? And even as we're not speaking specifically about the cross, would you, God, would you cause people in this room who do not know you, who are not yet born again, would you cause them to turn from their sin Would you cause them to turn from their self-reliance and self-righteousness and trust in Jesus? And for those of us that have already done that in this room, God, would you stir our affection for Jesus and his bride, the church? Would you stir our hearts for love for you and your gospel and for one another? And God, would you set a fire in our bellies for the mission of the advance of the kingdom of of God in our area, for the glory of God and for our joy? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's read 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Listen to this. This is Peter, one of the apostles, writing to a group of people who are in exile, scattered across the Roman Empire, struggling to live out their faith for Jesus as a local expression of the body of Christ in a place that's hostile to them, and they're living together for something bigger than themselves, and this is Peter's encouragement to them. We pick up in chapter 2, verse 1. So put away all malice... And all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up to salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul keep your conduct among the gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evil doers they may see your good deeds and glorify god on the day of visitation This passage is telling us a couple things. Number one, that Christ has rescued us and ransomed us from a rebellious and hostile world. Secondly, that he has called us to live together as a group of people in a way that goes beyond our Life here on this earth, that the reason that Christ has saved us and made us into a church is not so that we would have a successful life or not so that a business executive can learn some leadership principles or so that so that uh, some of us can have anger management control techniques, but so that we together as a group of people for his possession might proclaim the excellencies of Jesus who called us out of self-reliance and darkness and sin and death and into the proclamation collectively as a group of people. So then he urges us, beloved sojourners, live and do life together in this way. And so I want to share with you some thoughts. I'm going to talk about the change that we have coming up. I'm going to talk about numerical growth. I'm going to talk about connection and its challenges. I'm going to talk about membership and commitment. I'm going to talk about structure and staff. I'm going to talk about our church culture. And then I'm going to end on talking about the centrality of the gospel in this place. One of the great concerns I have and things that um, keeps me praying and occasionally keeps me up at night is how the change of buildings for us is going to affect us. Uh, For the past five years, we have been here in this location we started off with just a few folks. By the way, if you're wondering how we came across this building, uh, Paul Fincher and I were just driving around one day knowing that we were going to plant a church, and we just kind of came across this building. We got the keys to it. There's a lady that lives down the street, Zon Amerson, who's just an angel. She opened this building up for us for the first couple of years. She came, met us here, and this was our decision-making process. I stood in the back where the soundboard is right now. Paul got up on stage, and I'm like, Yeah, dude, you you look good up there. I I think this will work. And we we like signed a lease right there. Not very strategic. Anyway, we've kind of been out here and just sort of growing. And now as we have been through this process, we found this building in town. Now, for the past five years, we've been setting up and tearing down. We've been watching the nursery with no air conditioning at times. And we've been trying to do church as we've grown. Most of the people have come from Columbus, and now we feel like it's God's wisdom and God's direction for us to move back there. And as we were looking for a building, we were just thinking, hey, just we're going to do something small, something humble. But God just graciously gave us this really large uh, building. It's very conveniently located for a very, very, comparatively speaking, for the square footage, very low interest rate. And then gave us a friend who's a general contractor who's making this place looking really good for us for for uh, really uh, pennies on the dollar. And my concern is that as we grow as a church, there's something that happens when change happens, when, when you grow. Inevitably, when we move into town, there will be different dynamics. And for us as a church, some of us have gotten very comfortable here. Some of us love this place. Some of us love the charm and kind of the enchanting feel of the old Mountain Hill Schoolhouse and our kids playing on the front lawn and the old rickety chairs and even though they're kind of painful to sit on especially when you're pregnant but 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 for us to sort of hold on to the folksy sort of family feeling of a place where we started out and not sort of give our hearts to change and a little bit more complexity is at the heart idolatry my concern is is that we will we will value comfort and sort of folksiness of our family feel above the mission that God has clearly given us as a church. And so I'm urging us as as a group of families, for those of us that have been here for a long time, that as we move, we're not moving for us. We are not moving so that we don't have to set up any longer. We're not moving so that we're closer into town so that it's more convenient. All those, those are aspects of our move. We are moving Because we believe that this location will help us make Christ more known in our religious area. And if we get off of that path, if we we think it's for any other reason, or now because we have a building, it kind of gets selfish and inward thinking and sort of people get sort of ornery and feisty and sort of entitled, we will absolutely miss the boat. And so we Are going through this change because we want to see Jesus made much of in our town, not for any other reason. And as a church grows, there's always increasing complexity that goes with that. And a lot of times, with complexity, can become what is called mission creep. You know what that is? It's like an organization grows that when you're young and it's just 10 of us in this room, we're like, we're going to take our valley for Jesus and we're going to be pure and we're not going to sell out and we're not going to do any of that junk that churches do when they're trying to get people to come and we're going to believe that God is enough and that scriptures are enough and that the power of the gospel is mighty to save and we're going to do it right. And then you grow and you're like, oh, we got to, we got to kind of cater to this. And then you grow a little bit more. Oh, we got to cater to this. And over the course of time, your mission can creep. And before you know it, 10 years down the road, you can look back at yourself and you're a total sellout and you wonder, wondering, who are we anymore? We have to be careful. I'm going to talk about this in a moment at the end, that what unites us is the power of the gospel, the simplicity that is in Christ, the belief, the faith that we as pardoned rebels believe that the Bible is true and we live in a religious lost city that needs to hear not about Southern Baptist, Pentecostal, Methodist, church on every corner, Presbyterian, that, this, what are you, where do you go? They need Jesus. They don't need church culture. They don't need comfortable seats they don't need projectors although we're going to have one they don't need that stuff they need christ alone they need the power and the simplicity of the sufficiency of the scriptures and the power of the holy spirit to to save them and rescue them so i urge us as peter said as sojourners we are sojourners that is that means that this World is not our home. This building is not our home. Jennifer and I just moved into a new house a couple months ago, and we love it, man. We wake up every morning. The birds are singing. It's out in the country. There's some horses over there that aren't ours, by the way, but they're the best type of horses, the horses you can look at, but you don't have to feed. And we get up, and we look out our window at these horses, and we're like, oh, this is awesome. But every now and again, I have to remind myself, this, this earth is not my home. This house that God has been so gracious to give us is fleeting. It's like grass that withers It's a vapor. My house, my life, my everything, this church, my ministry, boom, it's gone. We are exiles. We're pilgrims here. We're living as people who are eternal beings. Everybody in this room is eternal, is immortal. And the only destination is either heaven or hell. So we have to make these 80 years that God gives us as lives that point towards that which lasts forever. Not that which fades away. Since we have stuff and we're going to have stuff. A couple weeks ago we talked about all the stuff we're buying. Let's have the discipline and the tenacity and the purity of heart. To realize that it's a, not a building or a technology or a seat or a location or a convenience. But it's Christ. About numerical growth. I, I know what people mean when they say this, and if you are one of the 78,000 people that has told me this, I'm not I'm not bashing against you, so don't think, oh, I just had that conversation with Brad the other day. Ooh, is he talking to me? No, I'm not talking to you. <laughs> I'm talking to all of us. But there's this sort of this thought, there's this underlying sentiment, oh, when we move in town, we're gonna grow. Well, yeah, I, I hope we grow in a biblical, healthy way. But I need you to know that we never, I never, Reynolds never, our leadership, we never think in terms of numerical growth. In fact, I think that when a church desires to gather a crowd, they run dangerously close and oftentimes run headlong into a very biblical, uh, unbiblical strategy of making their name great rather than the name of Jesus great. There is a very subtle subculture In American Christianity, and I believe personally it is driven by egotistical, insecure pastors who just want to be great. They want to be popular. They want their churches to be big. And in the name of, in the spirit of kind of evangelism and wanting to do great things for God, they puff themselves up, they puff their church up rather than the hard, beautiful, Sufficient message of the scriptures, which is Christ and Christ alone and him crucified. So will we grow? Yeah, well, I hope we grow. But we don't care anything about numbers. What we care about is the purity of what we preach and teach and the exaltation of Christ. And friends, he will take care of all of that. This is what Paul writes to the Corinthian church in in, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, we have it up on the screen. Don't worry about flipping your Bibles there. But listen, this is, this is a principle. We need to drill down in our hearts. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5, the Apostle Paul writes, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? They're servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. Because he was addressing this problem where the Corinthians were saying, Oh, I'm in this camp. I'm in that camp. I'm part of this particular sect that's really happening right now. I'm part of the in crowd or whatever. So I'm with this guy. I'm with that guy. And Paul's saying, Hey, it's none of that. Verse 6, I planted, Apollos watered, but god gave the growth so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only god who gives the growth he who plants and he who waters are one and each will receive his wages according to his labor for we are god's fellow workers you are god's field god's building and so i would say what is cross point who cares who cares what cross point is who cares if it's the church that people are talking about? I don't care. I hope it's not. I hope what people are talking about is Jesus. Who cares about Cross Point? Who cares about First Baptist? Who cares about Cascade Hills? Who cares about Christ Community? Who cares about Emmanuel Christian Church, pastored by my good friend Marlon Scott? Who cares about all of those things? We care about Christ. And so as we grow, yes, I, I pray that we will grow, but only in as much as it helps us fulfill our mission. To preach Jesus so that people would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus, not a church culture. Do you get that? And by the way, just biblically speaking here, if we're doing our job preaching Jesus the way that the Bible presents him and the way that Paul calls young preachers like me to preach, it will actually cause some people to go away, to leave. Listen to this. Listen to this. It's this good. I love these type of passages. 2 Corinthians, one book over, Chapter 2, listen to this, verse 14. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14. If you're writing down, we'll have it all on the internet uh, early this week, by the way, if you if you don't want to write down notes. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing, to one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. So if you're faithful to the book, if you're preaching Jesus to some people, it's going to smell like death, and they're going to be repelled by it, they're going to be offended by it, and they're going to go run somewhere else. But to those who are being saved, it is the aroma of life. And it is not our business. It is the business alone of a sovereign God who determines that. Our business is to be faithful to the text, to preach Jesus and not ourselves, to not get caught up in silly, self-absorbed pragmatism, to draw, try and draw people through man-centered methods. are task is to preach Christ and the sovereign God of the universe takes care of drawing men to himself to some people it will repel to others it will attract them to life and that is God's business not ours and then Paul says who who is sufficient for these things for we are not like so many peddlers of God's word and that's what a lot of churches do they peddle God's word and frame it in such a way to gear it towards the consumers so that they will latch on and I'm not bashing against an evangelistic spirit that generally wants people to come to Christ. But the best thing we can do for our city is not to water down Jesus, but to make Jesus clear. To make Jesus clear. We're not peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Having said that, we want to be good stewards of whatever God wants to do through us, and so we've got to be ready for more people to come. But let me give you this little phrase about how we want to grow. We don't want to grow necessarily numerically, although I think we will grow numerically, but we want to grow down as a group of people who are already here sink our roots deeper into Jesus. We want to grow down and out because as our roots sink deeper, we will bear more fruit which people can then see in our lives that will point them to Jesus and they will be able to pluck the fruit, so to speak, off of our tree and taste and see that God is good. So uh, are we going to grow? Who knows? I want to preach the gospel and I want to do my part. I want us as a church to do our part and let the sovereign God of the universe handle where the chips fall. About connection, Um, one of the great challenges that I think and one of the lacks, if I could be quite honest and just confess to you here, one of the real challenges. challenges that I have noticed in my life as a pastor is I'm very comfortable um, spending time dwelling on texts and reading the Bible and seeing how it applies to us and I'm very comfortable preaching. That's what I love to do. I think that's my primary gift is exhortation and and the gift of preaching. But as we've grown as a church, probably one of the areas that I have lacked as a leader is kind of helping us come up with wise organic systems whereby people could connect and encouraging you and leading you in a way to helping you realize that that is very important as a church grows. And so I want to encourage you. First of all, I want to confess my lack of leadership in that area, but now I want to encourage us to make, make connection. If Crosspoint is your home, can I just urge you for a second to make, make the growth and the, the connection of new people part of your mission, not just a select few. Honestly, one of the things that they kind of frustrates me the most sometimes is when I see people that are lifelong friends or people that have known each other for a long time at Crosspoint. And on Sunday mornings, I'll just see them kind of gathered together, not really caring about or not really, it's not that they intentionally don't care about people. I know that they do, but sometimes we just sort of get in our little thing and Sunday mornings kind of become sort of a little gathering of people we already know. And there'll be three or four, five or six visitors that are here for the first time and they'll be kind of sitting around looking nervously wondering what do I do? I mean, is it, what's this place all about? Is some, you know, somebody going to say hello to me? And and they just kind of go untouched while while three or four pockets of people who are regulars who know everybody in the church kind of, you know, talk about whatever we talk about when we stuff our faces with donuts. And so can I can I just encourage you listen, we don't talk about getting here on time much because I realize that for many of us we're about 15 20 minutes out in the woods. But can I just encourage you? Can I exhort you? Can I admonish you to make, make Sunday mornings not about yourself? Get here a little early. Come with the idea that you're going to try and find somebody that you don't know and that you're going to just get interested in them. Just, hey, how are you? How'd you hear about Crosspoint? What's your name? You know, you got just help them. Just, just find their name. You don't have to prick fingers and be blood brothers. Just let's make Let's kind of make this a culture of warmth and organic just engagement. Now, yeah, we need to probably do a better job of having greeting teams and all that kind of stuff, but when a church starts programming when they start trying to like mandate and legislate what is just the biblical responsibility of every Christian to get their heads on a swivel and love other people, then it's like you're trying to mandate biblical living. That's not; it doesn't work, man. We can have a program. We can send out four charts. We can get 18 lists. Get a team together. Do this. Get a guy in charge of that. All this kind of stuff. Send out emails. Blah blah. You know, am I on this Sunday? Am I not on this? Sunday? What if? Just I'm just dreaming here for a second. But what if we didn't have to do all that, all that leadership stuff and what if just every Christian was urged to get their head on a swivel and look out for the interests of other people more than their own? And they just lifted up their chin and they saw that there's somebody who they don't know. And just because they're Christians and because they love Jesus, they go and they want to connect with that person. And what if, what if that person is shy? And what if that person just gets outside of their shyness for a second, right? What if they did that? What if they did that, and what if we all just had this gracious, humble, head on a swivel, where we cared more about other people than we did ourselves? And what if that just ruled the day every time we gathered? What would that be? What would that be like? Silah. Somebody asked me last week what silah means. In the Psalms, in Hebrew, there's a word occasionally that'll say Sila means meditate on this. What would that look like if we all got here a little early, if we all hung around a little late, and if we all just made it our mission to meet somebody we didn't know? That right there could have the capability of transforming a church culture. Yes, thank you for the sila over there. I love it. About membership and commitment, um, this is a passionate one of mine that as I, as a, a young pastor, have grown. I've realized my error in this way. We, um, when we started this church, I was kind of wimpy. I was real wimpy, in fact. And I just wanted people to come. And I just wanted you to hang around because I just, I, it was, at that point, I think it was a little bit more about my ego than it was about the, the sufficiency of Jesus. And we really soft peddled commitment to a church and membership. But can I just tell you that as I have grown in my knowledge of the scriptures and I've grown in uh, just wisdom and maturity, the New Testament, in fact, the whole Bible, doesn't make much sense. Unless you realize that it's viewed in the context of a people of God who are called by God to live in such a way in commitment, radical commitment to each other, that they, in that way of living together, become an expression of the gospel in their city. And so, the Bible, especially in the New Testament, makes no sense unless you realize it is written to a group of people who are members, who have committed together to be a local church. Can you find the word church membership in the New Testament? No, no but you do read the New Testament where Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says, hey, that guy that's committing sexual immorality, put him out, put him out. Well, if there's nothing to put him out of, then there's a group of people who have committed to one another. And then when he writes to him again in 2 Corinthians, and he says, hey, that guy, that same guy that I told you to put out, now he's receive him back. Receive him back into what? The little group of people that sort of informally get together on Sundays, but don't commit? No, the group of people who are deciding to do life together, and not to run from one another when they get offended. A group Who have committed to one another A group of people who give their lives to something bigger Than a church that can just help them But they serve, they get in They put their name on a list They go through a membership class they, They open their lives to the elders Who, by the way, will have to give an account Of people that they're leading There's a verse at the end of Hebrews It's in Hebrews chapter 13 And it says that I, as an elder, as a pastor Will have to stand before God And give an account of you well, how do I know who you are if you never say, I'm one of these people? And so, listen, listen, I'm not beating you up, but if you're not a member of this local church and you're just kind of on, uh, on the fringe, then either join this one or go somewhere else please because you need your soul to be accountable to elders and leaders and a group of people who know your life who can call out sin who can, who can encourage you when you are down who can weep with you when you weep and, and rejoice when you rejoice you need to join and commit and give your life to a local expression of the body of Christ I'm not saying that you cannot be a Christian if you are not a member of a local church, but I am saying that you are an unbiblical Christian if you think you can go life sort of on the fringe of the church. And I realize when I say that the people have been hurt by church, I realize that church in our culture especially can be a jacked up mess, but the world is a jacked up mess and that's not an excuse to not live like the Bible calls. In fact, I want to give my life to building a group of people who do it biblically and graciously and humbly for one another. Because when we move into a new building, one of the things that I want to do is have the church meet together more regularly and as a member decide collectively which direction we're going to go. So I think one of the first things that we're going to do is at least one Sunday night a month, we're going to gather together for a Sunday night service. We're not going to do it every Sunday night, but we're going to probably gather together and have kind of a members meeting where we handle stuff, where we encourage people, where we where we do things, where we collectively as a group of people know who we're voting into membership, where if people are struggling with something, or if there's some blatant sin that somebody's unrepentant of, that we as a church, you know, the Bible calls us to that type of holy commitment and living together. Jesus says in Matthew 18 that if there's an unrepentant brother that he, and you're confronting him, you should too should go, and if he refuses those, then the church leaders, and then before the church, but if all we do is just kind of gather loosely on the fringes together on a Sunday morning, we never have the opportunity to gather and be biblical. And so we're going we're gonna to make the life of the member of the average person of Crosspoint more robust and more involved. And so I deeply, deeply, deeply want to encourage you to make that a priority in your life. The next thing about structure and staff, Reynolds mentioned it earlier, but we're going to need to grow staff. If we do, in fact, grow numerically, which again, uh, we're, we're going to let the Lord take care of that, but we'll need to add staff. One of the things that we've got to do is we've got to Um, become a little bit more structured in how we do our constitution and bylaws like we started off with some just little hokey little document that I think I downloaded from the internet like week one like yeah this will do and that's like our constitution and bylaws we've got to totally revamp that make that more appropriate and applicable to where we are now we're going to do that in the coming weeks here you're going to get drafts of that. And if you're a member of Crosspoint, I want you to read that. I want you to to listen to it. I want you to hear it. And we're going to meet together and we're going to totally rework that so that we are more biblical and healthy in the way that we are setting up our structure about our church culture. Um, Churches, I'm in with these two things, our church culture and gospel centrality. Churches oftentimes develop cultures. And they get camped. They become kind of camps. Sometimes churches will focus on a particular aspect of something, and that's like their thing. They'll, Pentecostal churches will want everybody to speak in tongues and do this, which is, okay, that's fine. But that, that doesn't, that, you see how that can, it can pull you away from the centrality and the sufficiency of Jesus. Other churches want to get kind of real involved in some sort of social outreach, which can be fine, but then it can cause you to be sort of moralistic. And it can pull you away from the centrality of Jesus. Other churches get real proud about their theological stances. Reformed churches, and I believe me, I, I, I am I am in that camp. I believe. I am reformed in my theology. You don't have to be. But churches that have that type of stuff, they can get real proud in their, you know, in their theological positions. And it can kind of be sort of a defensive posture where they think that they're right and everybody else is wrong. And then, and here's, I think, the bigger danger for us, is that churches can be full of young people who, for the first time in their life, kind of see Jesus and realize that they need to be part of church, and then sort of the, 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 the central thing for them is that they're just, well, we're like cool and hip, and we're not like everybody else, and so the whole thing that unites them together is that they can just be not like their, their parents' generation's church, as if that's like something that we're trying to do. It's not. And so, what subtly can happen is churches can develop central themes subconsciously, whereby that is the thing that they're trying to defend, rather than calling people to engage the God of the Bible and believe in Jesus and making it a church culture where Christ is central. That's all we care about. We're not trying to be this or that or this expression of church, or that expression of church, we are trying, here's my mission in life, is to get you to engage the God of the Bible, because he is far bigger, he is far more gracious, he is far more holy, he is far more righteous, he is far bigger than the average American Christian realizes. And so if we can just, engage the God of the Bible and be humble and gracious and we can read the scriptures and let the power of the Holy Spirit engage our hearts and make Christ more lovely and let our hearts burn with passion for him. He will do what he wants to do in us and we don't have to get caught up in what camp or what sliver or what place in the body of Christ we are because we're just Jesus followers. Man, that's all we do. And so, yes, I have my positions, and you've got your positions, and we've got our things, and we've got our hobby horses. But we want to desperately be a church culture that makes the God of the Bible central to what we do, central to what we do. And that brings me to my last point, the point of gospel centrality. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11 through 21 and this is the whole reason we're moving. I'm going to read the scripture, make a couple comments, the guys are going to come back and play a song or two and then we'll be out of here. In case your father's day pot roast is burning. 2 Corinthians 5:11. We want to be a church that makes the gospel central in everything we do because it is the gospel, not a spiritual gift, not a type of music, not a doctrinal position. Not a reaction against anything, but it is the gospel that is the power of God for salvation. Not a new building, it is the gospel that is the power of God for salvation. Listen to this, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Listen to this, this is the people on mission. They haven't bought a couple of devotional books at Lifeway or Sanctuary so that they can have their best life now. I mean, come on. Think of the sick, self-centered nature of most of American Christianity. It's just goofy idolatry. That's all it is. We we are a nation that we we have so many false converts in the church. It is sick because we just want people to come. And we have boiled down the message of the sovereign creator of the universe into pragmatism and self-help. But the people who engage the God of the Bible live in a reverential type of way that fears this awesome, holy, righteous God and their life now is on a mission not to work for the bank, not to be a teacher in the school system, not to get more sales, but to live in such a way that they would persuade others by the way they collectively live together. Think about the paradigm shift that is for most of the junk you get fed in American cultural Christianity. We persuade others But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We're not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. And so what, in other words, what Paul is saying is, hey, we want to be clear about who we are. We're about Christ and Christ alone. So that when people ask you about us, you can tell them, this is who these cats are. They're not some shifty little guys who are trying to get their own agenda passed. They're just believers in Jesus. And so we're trying to persuade you in that way. Verse 13, for if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Come on, man, we need passionate people. Beside ourselves is, a, is sort of an older way of saying people that are just crazy for Jesus. They're just passionate. They're just, they're just giving it all to the Lord. It is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. Verse 14, listen to this. For the love of Christ controls us. The NIV says compels us. It is what Christ has done on the cross dominate your life because we have concluded this that one has died for all therefore all have died and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves but for him who for their sake died and was raised what are we living for cross point what are we moving into town for what are we doing everything we do for what are you paying me for To make you happy pat you on the back Is this sort of be the little puppet, the little monkey that we throw quarters up every now and again so he can come up and give you a good sermon so you can get through the week? Or is it because we collectively as a group of people with biblical leadership and humble orthodoxy want to preach Christ so that Christ would be known because he died and we need to let people know that he died for them? Is that why we're here? I hope it is. Verse 16, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus. No longer. Verse 17, one of the most beautiful verses in the Bible. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So here's the deal Christ saved you so that you could be somebody who reconciles other people to himself, so that he wouldn't count their trespasses against him. And by the way, this is a point we need to make every time we talk about the gospel. Everybody doesn't get their sins forgiven just because they grow up in the South, only those that repent and believe. God is angry. And wrathful against human rebellion. And he will pour out his wrath someday. On all human rebellion. The good news of the gospel is. That. He poured out. His wrath. On. Jesus. On the cross. So that Jesus's perfect sacrifice would absorb and satisfy his wrath and justice only for those who believe in him, who trust in him, who don't just agree that he existed, but only who those who trust, who put the weight of their life in faith in him. Everybody else doesn't get that wrath-absorbing sacrifice, so you must believe in Jesus. You must place your trust in him. By the way, that's why we don't do like altar calls here or repeat-after-me prayers, because we don't want to trick you into thinking that just because you repeat a prayer that all of a sudden you're saved. This is what the Bible says as to how you are saved. You are saved, you are born again, you become a Christian because you repent and believe in Jesus. You turn and trust in him. You don't trust in yourself, you trust in what Jesus did. Everybody else who does not do that, the Bible is very clear. There's coming a day when their sins will be counted against them and they will be separated from God together forever. And so that's why we are trying to live a life where we tell people that so that they will repent and believe. Verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, cross point. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Well, as the guys come back to lead us in a benediction song, you're going to lead us in a song called In the Cross alone I glory. And I guess if I could sum everything up that I've said today, my prayer would be that as we move and as we wrestle with all the implications of our move and as we struggle and strive to be faithful to the Bible and to Jesus, my prayer for my life and your life is that in the cross alone we would glory and that God would do something very special among us not for us but for his sake the bible says jesus says in fact says this in luke he says to whom much is given much is required so i don't think it's enough for us to just sort of say well let's just be faithful to the bible and god'll take care of it i think we've got to pray and i think we've got to work and i think we've got to labor and I think we've gotta lay down our life. But all of that is a response to what Jesus has done for us. And so, church, I, I'm asking us to strap up our boots, so to speak. I'm asking men in this church to commit, like to lead, to lead graciously, lead humbly. Prioritize worship, man. Come on, if if your wife needs to kick you in the tail, come on, dude. Bro, I want you to know I've been that guy and me and you, several other men in this church are here to help you. If you you need just somebody to come around you and love you and encourage you and speak some, I mean, some halftime motivational spiritual words into you, brother, I'm game. I'm game. Let's go. Let's get this done. Let's do this. I'll, I'll, I'll light you up. I will light you up. Graciously, I'll light you up. <laughs> but we need men, man. We need men. We need men. A lot of churches are built on Uh, women who are pulling up the slack for sorry dudes and thank God for those type of women but it's not good for the church and for the witness of Jesus we need a church that's led by humble, God-fearing solid, committed, consistent dudes We stick it in the ground you're not one of those dudes look, there's grace, man, there's grace I was not one of those cats, man. I was, I was a self-absorbed, little insecure, little wimp. With God in his graciousness got a hold of me through the power of his word and through Christian community where I saw it modeled. You can be one of those guys, man. You can be one of those guys. So come on, man, let's go. Let's lean forward in the foxhole. Get your eyes off your belly button and let's be a church that just says Christ you alone are sufficient. And let's do this. Do this for the glory of God. Well, the guys are gonna sing a song. Let me pray, and then this song will be our benediction. After this song, Paul, will let us go. The Lord, as we, um, as we conclude, <clears throat> take my words, I pray. Those that have been off base, let them fall to the ground. Those that are from you, I pray that they'd stick fast. Lord, if there's a person in this room who does not yet know Jesus, even though this this time has been more focused on us as a church and my heart as a pastor, would you in your kindness cause that person to see Jesus, to savor Jesus, to trust in Jesus, to not trust in themselves, not in their own righteousness? to not be so consumed with their sin and their failure to think that they're too far away because the Bible says that your arm is not too short to save. That you are able to save to the uttermost, as Hebrew says. And so if there's a person in here that's been hiding in religion or church attendance but doesn't truly know you, God, would you really, would you right now break through and let them know that what it means to be a Christian is to repent and believe in Jesus and that you then, you do the work. You did the work on the cross and then you make Jesus real and they trust in you and they begin a life of giving themselves over to you. God, would you cause that person to be born again right now? That's you for just, listen, turn. Say, Jesus, I... I turn from self-reliance, self-righteousness. I turn from my sin. I turn from the things that I've treasured over you, and I turn towards Jesus and what he did on the cross. You do that right now. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. That's what it means to be a Christian. You don't need to raise your hand. You don't need to fill out a card. You don't need to repeat a prayer. You need to talk to somebody. Certainly, I'll be here afterwards, several other people that you know to be a Christian. But to be a Christian, you turn from self, you turn from sin, and you trust in Jesus. Do that right now. I don't care if you've got doubts and questions. Look, I understand I've got doubts and questions. I know whom I have believed. I believe that he is able to keep that which I have entrusted to him until that day, which is is my life. So repent and believe. So God, would you cause that person to do it for the rest of us that know you and that call Crosspoint home? God, would you stir our affections? Would you rouse us out of self-centeredness? Would you help us be the church that you called us have called us to be, so that you would receive glory, and that we would walk in great joy. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.